It's Saturday, November the 14th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, American election wrangling continues and COVID-19 flares in Delhi. First, the week in brief. President Donald Trump made his first public statement since the election was called against him one week ago and referred obliquely to an incoming administration that might not be his own. He stopped short of conceding defeat, however, even as his legal challenges to the result bogged down. Meanwhile, as Joe Biden's lead in both the Electoral College and the popular vote continued to grow, a group of federal, state and election officials described the election as the most secure in American history. The Republican National Committee said it would spend $20 million for 600 staffers to fight twin Senate runoff races in Georgia to be held on January 5th. Joe Biden flipped the state in the presidential contest. Democrats need both of its seats to achieve a 50-50 split of the Senate. That would give Mr. Biden's vice president, Kamala Harris, the tie-breaking vote. Delhi reported an alarming jump in COVID-19 numbers with more than 7,000 new infections and 104 deaths on Thursday. India has reported an easing of its caseload, but the capital's heavy smog is thought to be exacerbating the outbreak there. Delhi's air is typically awful during this season, soon to be worsened by the fireworks of the Diwali holiday. Thousands of people took to the streets in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, after the killing of Roman Bondarenko, an anti-government protester, allegedly at the hands of security forces. The government of Alexander Lukashenko, widely considered to have stolen the recent election, says Mr Bondarenko was drunk and died in a scuffle with other civilians. Amid rumours of a power struggle, Dominic Cummings, Boris Johnson's chief adviser, is leaving his job. He said on Thursday night that he would depart this year. Pictures of him carrying a cardboard box out of 10 Downing Street on Friday prompted reports that he was already going. His departure follows that of Lee Kane, the Prime Minister's Director of Communications. Both men played leading parts in the campaign led by Mr Johnson to leave the EU. Gig workers in Britain won a victory as the High Court ruled they should be entitled to the same health and safety provisions as employees. The Independent Workers of Great Britain, a union, argued that the government should have provided members with personal protective equipment during the pandemic. The court agreed, saying that the term workers should include those in the gig economy. And Swire, one of Hong Kong's most famous colonial-era groups, was removed from the benchmark Hang Seng stock index. It was replaced by Meituan Dianping, a Chinese food delivery app reflecting corporate Hong Kong's shift towards the mainland. Swire's businesses, including Cathay Pacific, have been hit hard by both the pandemic and upheaval in Hong Kong. Its shares have dropped by 35% this year. And now, here's today's agenda. Statue of Limitations, Mary Wollstonecraft. Among the park's trees and greenery, there is a flash of silver. From a geyser emerges a tiny female figure with pert breasts, rock-hard abs, and protuberant pubic hair. Maggie Hambling's statue, a tribute to Mary Wollstonecraft, aroused anger when it was unveiled in London this week. Many wondered why this naked every-woman took precedence over the ideas of the proto-feminist thinker. 
Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Woman, 1792, lamented that marriage was considered the ultimate aim of women's lives, criticised sexual double standards, and advocated education so that women might think and act for themselves. Millicent Fawcett, a leading suffragist, reckoned that the women's rights movement in England and America owes as much to Wollstonecraft as modern political economy owes to her famous contemporary, Adam Smith. Of course, Smith's statue in Edinburgh depicts him in academic finery. The free market, it seems, does not demand naked men. A Political Odyssey, Barack Obama's Memoirs The most keenly awaited title of the year hits bookshelves on Tuesday. A Promised Land, the first volume of Barack Obama's presidential memoirs, has already been translated into 25 languages. Three million copies will be available in America alone. Some had to be printed in Germany and sent over in more than 100 shipping containers. The Booker Prize, Britain's most prestigious literary award, delayed its ceremony so as not to clash with its publication. Mr. Obama received a reported $40,000 for his first book, 1995's Dreams from My Father. This time, in a joint deal including his wife Michelle's own memoir, Penguin Random House paid around $65 million. Yet those hoping to read the former president's criticisms of his successor, Donald Trump, will have to wait. A Promised Land covers his early political career and his election as the first African-American president, but finishes in 2011. Readers will be eager for the sequel. A Sobering Discovery – Safely Expelling Alcohol When it comes to sobering up, science has had little to offer. The liver's metabolism cannot be hurried. But a new method, described in scientific reports, uses the lungs instead. It has long been known that hyperventilation, or deep and fast breathing, expels gaseous alcohol. But hyperventilation reduces blood carbon dioxide levels, causing dizziness and fainting. The new method uses a simple device to keep blood CO2 levels stable, isocapnic hyperpnea in the jargon. The contraption is decidedly low-tech, comprising a mask, a self-inflating bag and a small tank of CO2. The wearer hyperventilates while inhaling replacement CO2 to remain conscious. Tests on five young men revealed that the method eliminates alcohol at least three times faster than liver metabolism alone. The most immediate application would be to treat life-threatening alcohol poisoning. But given how common it is to have a few too many, wider uptake looks soberingly likely. A hammer to tradition, golf's new power player. In September, Bryson DeChambeau won the US Open and plunged golf into an existential crisis. Mr. DeChambeau had long used his physics background to try to gain an edge, experimenting with a side saddle putter and a geometry compass. But during lockdown, he hit upon a more successful strategy, hitting the ball very, very hard. He put on 40 pounds, 18 kilograms of weight, and started driving balls 50 feet, 15 meters farther than his rivals. His power over finesse game ruffles conservatives. Before this weekend's Masters tournament at Augusta National, the club's chairman, Fred Ridley, said Mr. DeChambeau's ability to treat par-5 holes as par-4s has put golf at a crossroads. But Mr. DeChambeau is still human. During his opening round, he bungled his tee shot on the famous par-5 13th and hit his second shot into the bushes, emerging with a double bogey 7. 
He remains in contention, but has yet to demonstrate his mastery over golf's most celebrated course. Writer's Room, the Booker Prize The winner of the Booker Prize will be announced on Thursday. The prize, now in its 51st year, will be awarded to the best novel of the year written in English. After whittling a pile of 162 books down to a shortlist of six, the judges must now agree on one winner. Last year that proved too difficult, and the £50,000, $65,936 prize was controversially split between two authors. The favourites to win in 2020 are Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, a Bildungsroman set in poverty-stricken 1980s Glasgow, and This Mournable Body by Tsitsi Dangaremga, which follows a young woman's struggles growing up in Zimbabwe during the presidency of Robert Mugabe. In July, Miss Dangaremga was arrested in Harare while attending anti-corruption protests. She was charged with inciting public violence. The other contenders are Maza Mengiste, an Ethiopian-American author, and three debut novelists, Diane Cook, Brandon Taylor, and Avni Doshi. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emile Durkheim, who passed away on November 15, 1917. Solidarity can grow only in inverse ratio to personality. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.